0: Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. Let's read a couple verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll talk about it. David says in Psalm 52, verse 8, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Verse 9, he says, I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. I want to talk to you this morning about he has done it. He has done it. Father, we thank you that you've brought us together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, that you've come to make Jesus real to us, that you've come to reveal the beauty and the wonder and the splendor of who Jesus is. Lord, we thank you that you're in this place. And we, as we move into your word, Lord, we just keep our hearts fixed on you. We keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord. And we ask that you would just reveal yourself to us through your scripture. Open up our hearts and our minds to understand what you want to say to us today, Lord. Bless this people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I um, I had originally planned earlier in the week to talk about this. And then yesterday morning, I felt like the Lord called an audible. So I went with it. And then again at 9 a.m., I felt like he called an audible again, and we came back to this. So this is where we're going to be this morning, and we'll we'll work through it. I believe the Lord wants to say something to us this morning. Psalm 52 is an interesting psalm. Verse 1 tells us that it's to the choir master, a mascal of David, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. We find this story in 1 Samuel chapters, um, make sure I get it right for you, 21 and 22, This is David is beginning his run from Saul. So uh, David is in the house of Saul. He's serving Saul. He's the captain of his bodyguard. He's going out and wiping out the enemies of Israel and the people of Israel singing these cool songs to David. And Saul has a, a spirit that comes upon him because the Lord leaves him. And basically he's jealous of David and he tries to kill him. So David, he works with Jonathan, who is Saul's son. And he figures out a plan. He's like, does Saul really want to kill me? Does he not want to kill me? What's going on here? Turns out Saul actually does want to kill him. Bad news. So David takes off running. When he takes off running, he leaves in such a hurry, he doesn't have anything. He's got the clothes on his back. He, he doesn't have food and he doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have any weaponry. So he heads over to the high priest's. Who is Ahimelech at the time? And he comes to Ahimelech and he says, "Hey, can you give us some food?" And he actually tricks Ahimelech, which you know David probably doesn't feel so great about afterwards. But he he tricks Ahimelech and he's like, "I'm on this secret mission for the king, and I left in such a hurry, and I, it's so important that I actually forgot my bread and my weapon." Which is funny, David says, "I'm on this secret mission for the king, and it was so important that I actually forgot the thing I needed to do the mission." But anyway. So Ahimelech, who's a high priest, he says, no problem. He gives him some bread, and he gives him the sword of Goliath, and David takes off. Bad news is, is there's a little sneaky guy hanging out in the corner named Doeg. So Doeg is hanging out when David's asking for bread and asking for a sword, and he sees the whole thing, and he runs back and tells Saul. Saul finds out, and he's pretty mad, and he comes to the priest, and he actually, he actually has the priest all killed. So he asked all of his servants to kill the priest and they say no, but Doeg steps up to the plate and he's like, I'll take care of it. He kills all of the priests, Ahimelech and like 85 different people, the Bible says. A pretty big deal for handing out some bread and a sword. And then we find David. David has run off into the wilderness and Ahimelech's son escapes the slaughter somehow and he comes to David and he says, there's there's bad news back home the person who you tricked into helping you has actually been killed for helping you and not only that person but like 85 other people including that person and that's where we pick up this story david runs to the caves of adullam and while he's at the caves of adullam actually in in 1st samuel 22 the It might be be at the end of 21, but the prophet says to David, hey, it's time to get out of the cave of Adullam. When David is in the cave of Adullam, he actually gathers to himself a group of people, and they're not like the greatest of people. Let me read you what the Bible says. In 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down with him. These these are the people that David attracts to himself in, in Adullam. And everyone was who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became the commander over him and he was there. They were there with him about 400 men. So David's got 400 men and they're all broke and they're all sad and they're all depressed. And David is the leader of all the broke, sad and depressed people. And he's hanging out in Adullam. and the prophet actually comes to David before he writes this Psalm. And the prophet says, you've got to get out of Adullam." You have got to get out of Adullam. And he tells him specifically to go to Judah. Now, we know Adullam is a picture of depravity and brokenness and pain and hurt. And we know that Judah is a place of praise. The, the prophet comes to David in a place where he's actually safe and secure. The Bible talks about Adullam being a stronghold. It's not a cave. It's like a, it's like a cavern of caves. And when the prophet comes to David, he probably feels pretty safe from Saul, but the prophet says, if you actually want to move forward, you've got to get out of the place that you're hiding in. If you ever want to move into what the Lord has promised you, remember a few chapters earlier, Samuel comes and anoints David to be king over all of Israel. Samuel, by the way, who the Bible says that none of his words fall to the ground. The Lord upholds everything he speaks. This isn't some random cat on the street who says, I feel like the Lord said. This is the prophet Samuel. And as he's hiding in Adullam, the prophet comes to David and says, If you'll ever want to step into your promise, you've got to get out of hiding. Many of us, many of us get in the middle of pursuing what God has spoken over our lives and we find a safe place. We find a hiding place. Sometimes that place is real low. Sometimes that place is halfway up the ladder. But it's a place where we feel comfortable enough that nothing's going to harm us. Nothing's going to hurt us. We're not going to have to step outside of our comfort zone to do anything. And the prophet says, you'll never become what you're called to be if you keep hiding in a dullum." The comfort, the easy part, the temptation is to sit down in a dullum Because in a dullum I can wait it out eventually. Eventually Saul will die. Eventually his household will run out. Eventually the Lord will do something and the Lord will move and the Lord will stir something. But the prophet says, actually the Lord wants you to get out of hiding. He wants you to come out of where you're waiting. And he wants you to move into a place where you are proactively pursuing what he's spoken over you. Because staying there may be safe, but it is fruitless. It is fruitless. So David packs up his stuff and all of his broke, tired, weary people that are following after him. And he gets out of Adullam and he comes to Judah. And in Judah is where we pick up the story. The son of the priest comes to, it's either the son or the grandson, forgive me. Comes to David and says, all of the people who were left in my hometown, they're dead. They're dead. And so David writes this psalm in this situation. But he doesn't write it. Keep this in mind. He does not write it from Adullam. He writes it from Judah. The first seven verses, go back and read them when you get time. Basically, he says Doeg's going to get his. He says Doeg killed the priest of the Lord. He touched the anointed of the Lord. Bad news is coming to Doeg's house. We're not going to focus on that today. I want to focus on verse eight, verses 8 and 9. David says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God, and I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. David's response to things seemingly moving backwards, his response to things not going the way they're supposed to go is, I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. I am a green olive tree in the house of God. Remember, he has come out of Adullam and moved into Judah. And when he moved into Judah, the circumstance didn't change. But his perspective on the circumstance changed. Because in, if he wrote this psalm from Adullam... The psalm would not say, I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. It would say, woe is me. The Lord has forsaken me and help me, God. I'm in need. My ar- The enemies are chasing after me. But when he gets out of his place of comfort and hiding and steps into Judah, David says, I'm a green olive tree in the house of God. I have not fulfilled the promise. I haven't reached the end. I haven't gotten to where the Lord wants me to go, but right here in the middle of where I'm at, I am a green olive tree in the house of God. I am still flourishing, I am still producing, I am still doing something positive even though I haven't reached the end. Most of us would say I don't produce fruit, I don't flourish, I don't do anything good until I reach the place where he's called me to be. But David says right here in the middle, Between the Adullam and the palace, I am producing. I'm producing. My leaves are green. There is fruit that is budding on my leaves because I understand that the Lord is working something in me. The Lord is actually doing something in me. And David says, I trust in the steadfast love of God. I put all of my hope in the love of God. David could easily said. I put my trust in Samuel's word. He could have easily said, I put my trust in the fact that Saul's not a good dude and I've been a good dude. But what David trusts in is not any of those things. He trusts in the love of God, the steadfast love of God. What is he saying? He is saying the thing that will uphold what he has promised is his steadfast love for me. It's not just the fact that he spoke a word. It's not just the fact that I'm moving in the right direction. It is that he is so overwhelmingly in love with me that I know he is working things for my good. I know that I know that he's working things for my good. It's, it's not the word. The Bible says that his word is above his name. What does that look like? His name is the foundation that holds up his word. His name, actually, his, his name actually serves as a firm foundation that holds up everything he's ever spoken. It's, it's not just, Lord, I've got a word and I've got to get there. It is that you love me so abundantly that even in the middle of a mess where I tricked someone into giving me food and it got them killed. I know that your love for me is so great that I'm still on the path to my promise. That there is nothing that can derail your love for me. Paul would say it this way in Romans. That neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor life, nor death, nor any other thing in all of creation can separate me from his love. His love holds up my promise. His love, hello? His love holds up my promise. It's not just he spoke a word. He loves me so much that he refuses to even let my mistakes interrupt the path that he has for me. The lie of religion is if you don't check the box, he won't do what he said he was going to do. The lie of religion is if you don't fall in line and attend three days a week and fast and pray on a schedule, he won't fulfill what he's spoken. But David said, it is your love for me. That refuses to let me become anything other than what you've called me to be. Yes, I've messed up. I got people murdered. I've lied and I've cheated and I've stolen. And I've ran to the drug house. And I've ran to the whorehouse And I've ran to the bars. And the father says, but I love you with a love that is unshakable. My love is unshakable. It is a father's love that cannot be torn down by my bad decisions. If salvation is not based on my ability, then neither are my promises. How cruel would it be for a God who loves me to hold out salvation as a free gift and say, but to get the promises, you better check all the boxes along the way. But that's the culture that we've created. That is the idealism of Christianity in America is that if you don't do it all right, He's kicking you to the curb and finding somebody else. But David said, you love me with a love that cannot be interrupted. You love me with a love that searches me out in a dullum and says, son, get your head up and get out of the broken places and the dark places and the painful places and move into a place of praise because I have never stopped loving you. If we could comprehend his love, If we could comprehend a love that says, I don't care what you've done or where you've been or how much you've messed up. What is Luke 15 all about? Luke 15 is all about people and, well, sheep that messed up. And the father doesn't care. He's pacing a porch, waiting on a son and a daughter to cross the horizon so he can run out to them. And in the middle of rehearsing and reciting an I'm sorry letter, he jumps on his neck and says, I could care less. I'm putting you right back where I'd always planned for you to be. No, you can't be a servant because I've called you to be a son. I've destined you to be a son, but I messed up and the promise isn't for me anymore. No, no, no. It's always been for me. And it is my love that makes sure that it cannot be interrupted. David said, I trust in your steadfast love. Not not in the promise, but in your steadfast love that refuses to let go of me. Forever and ever, I trust. I have confidence. I have hope. I am bold. I am secure, and I feel safe because of your love for me. How many of us have faced dark seasons in our life where we feel scared and intimidated and worried about tomorrow and next week and next month and next year because we wonder, is there something I'm doing that's not lining up with what I should be doing? Is there something I'm doing that is pushing me outside of the plan and the will of the Father? And David said, I am secure. I'm not only secure, I'm hopeful. As I'm on the run for my life, I am hopeful because of your love for me. Forever. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. It's interesting that David says forever and ever. That word forever is is future. That word forever is eternity. Eternity. David said, I will trust in your steadfast love until I no longer have breath. And then when I go to the next place, I'm going to trust in you there. But the word forever means perpetually, continually, at all times. I don't just trust in your steadfast love into eternity. I trust in your steadfast love in every situation. In every circumstance, in every moment, in every hour, I trust in your steadfast love. It is an anchor that holds me and keeps me and refuses to let go of me. Because I'm not holding on to it. He is holding on to me. He has wrapped his arms around me. And what can take me out of his hands? I trust perpetually, continually, and forever. And ever. In your steadfast love. Verse nine, let me get a drink. David says, I will thank you or praise you forever. (laughs) Mercy. I will thank you or praise you forever because you have done it. This is interesting. Because you have done it. David, on run for his life, waiting on a promise that he is years away from fulfilling, and David said, you have done it. Our English doesn't have a way to properly translate what the Hebrew is saying here. What the Hebrew actually says is, "It is a the verb tense here is a future action that has been accomplished in the past. Which doesn't make any sense to me and blows my mind. Here's actually what happens. The Lord steps into my tomorrow and accomplishes what I'm hoping he will at some point accomplish. And this changes my perspective. I've been on the floor a lot today. It changes my perspective because I no longer pray about my promises from a place of, God, will you please do it? Will you please accomplish it? Will you please fulfill what you've spoken over me? And I now, like David, praise him continually because it's actually something that's already been accomplished. My tomorrow is already sealed and signed and delivered. I've had this phrase in my head for weeks now. As I read over this passage, and the phrase is that every word from him is not a promise to hold on to. It's actually a reality to step into. Every promise is a reality that he has gone ahead of me and prepared for me. And he is waiting on me to step into that promise. The weightiness of, oh God, can you please do what you said you would do? Can you please fulfill what you said you would fulfill? Can you please save my kids like you promised me you would save my kids? Can you save my family? Can you touch my finances like you said you would do? It no longer becomes, oh God, please. And it now becomes, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Not because I'm imagining something, not because I'm dreaming it up, not because I'm just wishful and wanting it to happen, but there is a reality. Maybe it's not today, and maybe it's not next month, but at some point I'm going to arrive at the reality that He has already prepared for me. And when I get there, here's what I do I just walk into it. I just walk into it because He is the promise keeper. He is the promise keeper. There's nothing I can do to uphold his promises. He is the one who has gone ahead of me and prepared the path for me so that I can step into everything that he's spoken. Church, what he has spoken, he will do. What he has spoken, he will do. Yeah, but it's been 20 years. Well, then there is still a reality somewhere down the line that he is bringing you into to walk you into everything that he's spoken over you. And with that in mind, David says, I will wait for your name forever, for it is good in the presence of the godly. I will wait for your name forever, for it is good in the presence of the godly. We all know waiting is not a passive waiting. It's an active, intertwining, twisting together with the Lord. We know that. But most people will tell you this verse says, most people will explain this verse, I will wait for your name Because your name is good in the presence of the godly. I don't think that's what it's saying. His name is good in the presence of the godly. Don't don't mishear me. But his name's also good in the presence of the ungodly. He doesn't need godly people for his name to be good. What is good in the presence of the godly? What is good in the presence of those who trust him? It is the waiting on his name. Waiting on his name is what is good for the godly. The ungodly, his name is good regardless. But waiting on his name is only good for those who understand that he has already done what he said he will at some point do. As mind-blowing as that is. Why? Because if I'm waiting, he is preparing me to be able to carry everything that he has for me. He is a good, good father. Jesus does not say, pray, our God in heaven. Our father in heaven. And as a good father, he does not toss the Corvette keys to somebody with their permit. Because he knows they're going to wrap it around a tree. And insurance premiums aren't cheap. But as a good father, in the waiting... In the twisting together, in the coming to God and saying, what can you do in me to make me ready for the promise? He actually prepares me to carry everything that he has for me. He prepares me to carry everything that he has for me. Because every promise given carries a weight. I know I've said this before, but everything from him carries a weight because it has a measure of his glory. And his glory is weighty. How many of you know if a box can only hold 25 pounds, it would be silly for him to put 100 pounds in it, knowing that it's going to break. It's going to be destroyed, and it's going to cause probably some collateral damage in the process. So he takes the box that can only carry the 25 pounds, and he works with it. And brick by brick, stone by stone, he adds mortar and he puts in support beams and he puts in nails and screws here and there. And all of a sudden, a box that could not carry 100 pounds and could only carry 25, after day in and day out, allowing the master to work on the box, it can now carry more than it ever could before. It is now able to carry a weight that it wasn't prepared to carry before. Because his mission is not for you to pick up the weight and hold it for 20 seconds. It's not for you to carry it for 20 years. It's for you to pass it on for 20 generations. It is so that you are strong enough to carry something. That you can help your sons and daughters be strong enough to carry. So that they carry their weight and the weight that he allowed you to carry. I want to show you something. Kind of a left turn. Go to Exodus 23 with me really quickly. Moses is talking to the Lord and he's getting instruction about moving into the promised land, right? We're going to read verse 29 and 30. The Lord has finished up giving the, the Ten Commandments and he's giving this instruction to Moses about moving into the promised land. Are you there? Verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. I don't like that. Lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Verse 30, little by little, underline it if you can, little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased. That word increased is is fruitfulness. Until you have reached a point that you are fruitful enough or that your life has enough fruit that you are actually able to possess the land. This is the process by which we possess the promises of the Lord. Little by little, he takes those things that are standing in opposition to us. Little by little, he takes those mountains that we are commanding to move and they refuse to move. And I've been pushing against it for 20 years. But when I take a step back from the mountain and I have been brought into my promise little by little, I realize that pushing against this giant mountain for 20 years has created in me a strength that I never would have had if he just said, here you go, here's the land. He knows if he says, here's all the promise, it will destroy me. But look, verse 29, it also destroys the land. It also destroys the land. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beast multiply against you. What is he saying here? The promise isn't just about you. There are things connected to the promise that I need you to be fruitful enough to sustain. I need you to be fruitful enough and increased enough that you can both possess the land but also take care of what I give into your charge. It's not enough for you to just come into the promise and everything connected to the promise start breaking down. The purpose of moving you into your promise is to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. That is the purpose. So that you have enough that the things connected to you remain fruitful. So that the wild beasts of the land don't come in and take possession of what the Lord actually cares for. He's not giving a city to a people that aren't fruitful enough to sustain the land and fend off the wild things. But he is little by little, day by day, service by service, walking this house and this city into a place where we are actually able to possess what he's called us to possess. Not just put up a tent. Anybody can put up a tent and stay for a while. He wants us to possess the promises that he's spoken over us. And if we are going to possess them, I've got to say yes to the pruning so that the fruit that comes from my life is enough to sustain what is attached to me. I've got to be able to sustain it. He never... When I jump the line and step into promises ahead of time, I actually forfeit an inheritance. I forfeit an inheritance for me and my generations. It seems like we've been praying for this city since I was born. And I think we have. Or close to it. But we have little by little been inching our way towards a promise. Where we don't come in and set up tents. But we actually dwell in the land and possess it. We actually dwell in the land and possess it. We have been sojourning this thing for a long time. But if you look from where we started, we've come a long way. There might be a long way to go still yet, but we are closer today than we've ever been. Your kids, your finances, your home, your marriage, it is closer today than it's ever been. And the lie is skip the line or give up. Don't do it. Little by little, you are working your way into a possession of your promise where nothing will ever be able to take it from you again. And it is the love of the Lord that holds us in place. Father, the wind is strong and the waves are big, but I love you with the love that's unshakable and death and hell and the grave and all of the angels in creation can't pull you out of where I've put you. I've put you there for a purpose. And we will possess everything that he's spoken over us. Stand with me. I'm done. Sometimes you have to sojourn for a while. The Lord told Abraham, I'll give you everywhere. Everywhere that you sojourn. I'll give you the land that you sojourn in. If you want land, you better be willing to sojourn in it. You better be willing to put up a tent and walk the property and pray over and and intercede over what he's told you he's going to give you. If you'll sojourn, he says yes to you possessing. I didn't plan on going here, but Abraham is told, I'll give to you the land that you sojourn in. Isaac, Abraham, Isaac is told, I'll give to you and your descendants the land that you sojourn in. Jacob in, oh gosh, Genesis 23, I think it is. Jacob is told, the, the scripture says that Jacob dwelt in the land of his father's sojourning. Jacob dwelt in the land of his father's sojourning. Oh, It's hard, and the elements are rough, and all I've got is this old ratty tent that he gave me. Yeah, but there is a possession. There is a possession that is coming, and the steadfast love of the Lord has wrapped its arms around you. And it may not make sense now, but where you're stepping, your children will inherit. Where you're sojourning, your children will dwell in the land. Winchester doesn't look much better than it did 25 years ago. Oh, it's getting there. It's getting there. There's a people. There's a people that believe that God is able not just to save a man or a woman or a child or a family, but can reach down and save a city. And through a people who can intercede for a city being safe, businesses can succeed and homes can succeed. Divorce rate can plummet and, and, and violent crime rate can go through the floor. It's not just about, Lord, get us there so we can stand on a mountain. No, work us in. Work us in so that the city can be fruitful and multiply. And it will possess everything that he's called us to possess. Oh God, the waiting's hard. Yeah, but it's preparation. Most people don't enjoy going to the gym the first couple of times. You get sore and you get worn out. But day after day, little after little, muscles are being built to sustain the weight of what he wants to give you. I want to rap, but when Jesus is talking about the minas, a mina is a weight. When Jesus tells the parable about the minas, they're 10, 5, and 3, or 10, 5, and 1, whatever it is. Those who did well with the minas, they got to rule over cities. Those who carry their weight well, look at it. He multiplies the minas and gives them control over cities. I can't carry the 100 pounds yet. Yeah, but do well carrying the 25. Do well carrying the 25. And before you know it, you'll be at 50. And then at 75, and then at 100 pounds, so that you can possess everything that he's called you to possess. And it's not just for this house to win a city. It's for your family. It's to win your kids. It's to save your marriage. It's to redeem your grandchildren. He wants you to possess every promise. Close your eyes. Jesus, you were nailed to a tree. And from that tree you cried, it is finished. David said in Psalm 52, I believe looking through the portal of time, he said, you have done it. Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? Lord, there are promises in this house. Come Holy Spirit. There are promises in this house that have been decades in the waiting. And the tempter and the accuser has come and said, you're no closer than you've ever been. You'll never reach the finish line. Quit and go home now. Lord, I pray for open eyes in this place. Lord, that that like Paul, they would glance behind them just to check how far they've come. But they would reach for the high mark of the calling of Christ Jesus. That they would reach towards the promises, Lord. Holy Spirit, we pray for a grace in this house to reach again for what you've promised us. Many of us, many of us in the dark night have set aside the promises. We've packaged them up and boxed them away and put them in a closet and said, maybe in the next generation they can pursue that, but it's not for me. Holy Spirit, I pray for grace to awaken promises in this people, for a grace to bring to life again the dead things that we've put aside and said, I can't get there and I can't do it. Lord, bring us in to possess every promise that you've spoken over us. Bring us in to possess every promise that you've spoken over us. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm asking you to bring us there because you have already completed it. Now, here's the important part. Don't look at me. Keep your eyes on him. Thank him. Thank him because he's already done it. Lord, we say thank you. We say thank you for a city that looks different than when we showed up. We say thank you for an apostle and a spiritual mother who said, I'll keep moving little by little into the promises that you've spoken over us. I thank you, Lord, for saving my kids. I thank you for saving my grandkids. I thank you for touching my finances. Somebody thank him for all that he's going to do. I don't see it yet, God, but I say, thank you. Thank you for the healing. Thank you, God, for the breakthrough. Thank you, God, for showing up when I thought that you wouldn't show up, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.